Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. Well, hey, it's so good to see you wherever you are at one of our sites. Uh, my name is David. I have the pleasure of speaking our message today and bringing uh, God's Word to us today. I, I play the role as site pastor in our Exeter location, and I find it a privilege being able to share what God's placed on my heart, but also what He's placed on our church as a community of Vital Point Church. And I, I pray boldly that this message brings you comfort, encouragement, and uh, instruction on how to live out your faith as you are exploring and growing in Jesus at Vital Point Church. Last week, we set off on on a journey and started embarking on a journey together, looking at First Peter, which is a letter in the New Testament, specifically at chapter one, which was really intriguing for us as a community that our lead pastor, Ron, really believes that this chapter really gives instruction. It gives direction for the everyday faith journey, whether you are new to church, someone brought you in and you're like beginning to wrestle through the truths of the Bible through, uh, through God's people in community, or maybe you've been in this for a really long time. This chapter really gives us a tangible way of living because see in a world right now that we live in you could say that the voice of the christian faith is no longer welcomed or receptive at the table of culture it's said that some when they come out to family and friends that they are followers of jesus or even a new neighbor or a new coworker, that you're building that relationship, you're building that friendship from a negative posture, not a positive one with how our world is going right now. And I, I personally love how we learned quickly last week that as Christians, our faith right now, when it is in the margin of culture, it's a beautiful opportunity for the church to move forward. Last week, we ended our Sunday conversation, but really it began a bigger conversation for many of what does it look like for people of faith to still live within the margins of life and not just hide away in the shadows and kind of just wait for things to blow over? Because if we have to be real with ourselves, we've learned in this series so far in week one that we are God's elect exiles, his people that are, 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 are fanned out across his world. We are to walk into the chaos, walk into the noise of our world, couched in peace and grace, revealing the name of Jesus. When that allows our, which then allows our neighbors and, and our coworkers and our families and our world to see that we have a living hope that lives inside of us and his name is Jesus and we are supposed to proclaim his name. And like many of us are learning, as we put our faith into action, into step every day, trusting and faith in God, couched in that peace and that grace, not in anger or, or finger pointing, when it is couched in peace and grace, we are sensing, we are seeing, we are hearing the hunger of many people, how they want a faith, they want a trust system, they want a firm foundation for their life to be built on. And it is an opportunity for the church here and now to start living like God's chosen elect exiles in his world. Before we jump in, 
This is a quote from Ron, our lead pastor last week. He said this, may we be people that live in the wonder of Jesus so that when someone asks why we have such peace in a world gone mad, you can step into that moment and reveal your living hope who is Jesus. A life in faith in the margins is marked by truth, not by the alignment of the ways of the world, but we are filled and transformed into the characteristics and the qualities that God has set his people apart. And essentially, we are submitting to Jesus as Lord, Savior, and King of this world. And result of that, we live in that holiness. And at Vital Point Church, our heart is that we give space for everyone to learn how to follow the rabbi who is Jesus together no matter where you at are in this journey. It is such a beautiful thing and why our heart is so for everyone to experience this. But now let's jump into our conversation to continue in week two of Faith in the Margin. First Peter chapter one, verse six and seven, it says this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we need to understand and continue to notice that throughout this series, the verses that we are going to look at, they are going to continue to build on one another. Now, before we dive into the text completely, we also need to identify and know that this verse, you can go two directions. Commentaries and scholars are kind of divided on this when the text uses the word trials, because the word trials here, you could see and believe as you open it up that it can be translated into the word and the lens of persecution of God's people. And this is still a reality today. We need to understand that, that God's people across his world and creation are persecuted because of their faith. But we as a church here at Vital Point, we believe as we dig and examine this text, you'll see a stronger argument that Peter is meaning general everyday trials, followers of Jesus, they will go through them because of the fallen, broken world. No, we're not talking about persecutions here. We're talking about everyday general trials. And in this moment, Peter is not being specific about these everyday trials, but you can actually see this throughout his letter. He talks more about them and does get specific. In chapter two, verse 12, he talks that you will be slandered. In the same chapter, a few verses later in 1820, he says, there will be harsh treatment in your faith. And as you walk that faith out in Jesus name. And then chapter four, verse 4 and uh, verse 14, you see that he talks about verbal abuse. But no matter what though, Peter is helping people of the way, apprentices of Jesus, the church. He's helping them know and see that there is grief, that there is suffering, that there is pain when we walk out our faith in this day and in this world and we will go through trials. That is part of life. But the beautiful thing about God is that there is a divine purpose within them. And my hope is that today that we would all see and grasp that the divine purpose that for our lives is that there is a beautiful outcome for all who walk in faith within the margin of culture right now. Let's break down these verses. Let's look at verse six. 
Last week we discovered no matter how mad the world goes and gets, there is a living hope within any follower of Jesus. And in in this moment, we see Peter continue that thread in verse six, where he says, in this you rejoice, which he's referring back to verses three and five, right? Three to five. They are building upon each other where he talks about the mercy, the resurrection power of Jesus, an inheritance that is unfading, undefiled, imperishable, which is all guarded by God's great power, he's saying, in this, you rejoice. See, many who would have been reading this and learning this in their community at the time would have had knowledge all around this. Peter now is saying, take that knowledge and put it into practice into your life when you are facing a trial. Allow that living hope to be a present joy that can only come through your relationship with Jesus because when you do that, you will be able to rejoice greatly in that moment and our living hope results in present here and now joy. But we need to realize that knowledge alone cannot produce great joy. It cannot create security. It cannot create freedom of fear when we face trials. See, though God is omnipotent, which means all powerful, he desires human beings, his followers of Jesus, of his son, a responsibility and a partnership he desires to walk in. We as Christians have a responsibility of responding in what? Faith. Because our faith turns knowledge, doctrine, and theological understandings into a reality where we see the living God produce the fruit of joy within our souls in these moments. And that kind of faith or living hope can enable believers to rejoice when we are faced with the greatest grief, the greatest suffering, the greatest pain of our trials. Dr. uh, Roger Raymer says this beautifully in his book, though trials may cause temporary grief, see that temporary grief, they cannot diminish that deep abiding joy, which is rooted in one's living hope in Christ Jesus. James In his letter, the half-brother of Jesus says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Trials, they're part of life. They're part of our faith journey. Let's look at them. Why is there a divine purpose? And what is the divine purpose for them in our lives? James is saying you're going to meet them. And Peter says it's going to happen. They're, they're, they're going to happen in your life no matter what. And Peter gives, gives us an, does an excellent job, sorry, of helping us understand and to see why. Through my study, uh, in all honesty, I, I came up with a list longer than my arm of why trials are part of our lives. And I want to give us four. I don't want to give us the whole list because we'd be here till dinner time, and some of us would love that, but some of us would hate that. So, but here's four that I believe for us as a church need to understand as we go through trials as followers of Jesus in faith in the margins. Trials meet needs. Trials are also varied. Trials are not easy, and trials are controlled by God. Let's look at these. The first one, meet needs. Needs. 
The phrase in verse six, if necessary, Peter says, indicates that there are special times and specific times when God knows we need to go through trials in our life. Sometimes trials are a form of discipline. Maybe you know that you've been seeking God's way and he says, go this way. And you say, no, I'm going this way. There's going to be a trial that you face when you disobey God's will in your life. Or maybe there's unconfessed sin in your life that you're going through. Psalm chapter uh, 119 talks about this. When there's unconfessed sin, we go through trials as discipline. Other times, trials prepare us for spiritual growth or even help us prevent us from sinning. Second Corinthians chapter 12 talks about this. If trials meet needs, you need to know, all of us need to know, that nine times out of 10, we don't always know the need that's going to be met or at that given moment, we might not know, but we have to trust and can trust God that he is going to do his best work to meet the needs that need to happen in our lives through him and in the trials. We often sing the song, I Trust in God, a beautiful song that's come out this past year. A man in our Exeter site once told me that when he hears our community sing this and actually place our faith and our trust in God, he hears the gentle whisper of God saying, finally, now I can work as we place our faith and our trust in him to meet the needs that need to happen for us, through us, because of God. Second one, trials are varied. Peter uses the word various or in other translations, you'll see the word manifold, which can be translated actually as many colored. And what I find fascinating here is that Peter in the same uh, letter in chapter four uses the same word to describe God's grace. It's a beautiful thing. So I find it comforting that no matter the color of your day, maybe it's a gray Monday or a blue Tuesday or a black Saturday, God has grace sufficient enough to meet the various trials that we go through. His grace is there when you call upon him, when they are varied and then when they are many. But because of his grace is sufficient, we can't fall into the trap of believing and living out of a posture because I've overcome this trial. I'll just get through this hardship, the same thing and kind of take this posture of I can win and I can take anything. And and, and we can't live in that posture when trials are varied because Peter is clear here that trials are varied. There are many and there are different forms of them. But in that God matches those trials with our strengths and our needs. They're going to all look different. They're going to feel different. And that's comforting to know because of God's sufficient grace that is varied and many colored as well, just like uh, the trials that we're going to go through. We need to know that the grace that is there for us to call upon God is going to meet us in that trial. And it's going to help us meet that need that the father needs to be produced into our life. They are varied. And so is his grace that meets us in those trials. The next one is trials are not easy. They are not. We need to know that Peter never suggests that we need to take a careless lifestyle or attitude towards trials. The Bible actually talks a lot about if you are lazy and have a careless lifestyle or attitude towards life, you are a foolish person. And Peter doesn't want us to be foolish. Trials, even though they are not easy, they produce a heaviness in our lives. Many of us describe that the trials that we go through are heavy. 
Jesus in Matthew chapter 26 is described as an experience when he goes through to goes to pray before he's betrayed by one of his disciples. He describes his soul as sorrowful and it feels like death. Trials bring us to a reality. Paul talks about it in the, in his letter to the Thessalonians that there are tough trials in life, but there is a hope that you cling to even though it is not easy. And it is Jesus. The last one. Trials are controlled by God. Now, I know when I gave you the four right away, some of you zoned in and fixed in on God controls our trials. And you've been waiting for me to talk about this one. In life and faith, many people, seasoned follower of Jesus or new to this, have all asked, if God is love, why does he let bad stuff happen to the people that he loves? We all need to know that's a valid question. But we also need to know that God isn't some crazy man behind a curtain or a puppeteer pulling strings in the clouds, uh, uh, conniving, how do I love people but also put them through hell? God in his sovereignty and wonder knows all. And like we learned last week, he's not surprised by the things that you're going to go through in his world that he has created. But when it comes to trials, he does allow his people to walk through them. Now, for some of you, you're like, nope. I'm not about this then. If God is love and he puts me through hell, not a chance am I ever going to place my faith in a man, in a God like that. This is my prayer. With this idea of God's in control of your trials, I pray deeply that as you grow in your understanding and your knowledge of him, you find comfort in the fact that even though the trial is high, even though the trial is fiery, even there's pain and suffering in that, he is still in control. One theologian puts it like this. When God permits his children to walk through the furnace, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. Where in those trials, when we submit to him and we meet the needs that need to be met in those trials, even though they are varied and hard, when we call upon him, he will not permit us to suffer one minute too long or ever get burnt too hot. See, because of the foreknowledge of God, and his watchful eye over his children, his chosen people, he is still in control. Peter makes sure that the listeners and the readers of that day and now us know that these trials are seasons in our life that we go through. Verse 6 says, though now for a little while, though that this is a season, this is a, a moment in life, even though that you go through them, We need to know that it is a season and there is producing growth and strength and beauty and wonder. And because as we are learning this, trials are an opportunity for divine purpose to come forth in our life. We need to look at verse seven in a way where it brings the fuller picture to all of us to understand why trials are so beautiful in life, even though they are tough. Let's read verse seven again. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's look at that word, that phrase, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. I love um, how John Piper puts it as we explain and ask the question, why do trials come? He says, our faith has to be tested in order for it to be found. 
See, trials prove the reality of one's faith and help us see where we are truly at. We need them in ways for a reality check. If everything was hunky-dory and great and rainbows and like, like, like lollipops, there would be no need for God in our lives. See, stressful moments in life deepens and strengthens a Christian's faith and the reality sets in and it is displayed that life is tough, but there is a living hope that is produced inside of us. And James talks about this in his letter again in verse three, chapter one, he says, for that you are being tested for, you know, that the testing of your faith produces, produces steadfastness. And see here, what's beautiful at the church that we call vital point is we have seen people time after time and time again, go through trials and yeah, they've got bumps. Yeah, they've got bruises. Yeah, they've got scars, but they are standing firm on the foundation of Jesus and are living examples of what it means to have Christ formed inside of them. And their genuine faith is being built up. And when they are being built up, they find joy and they can rejoice greatly in the moment. They're not rejoicing like Thank you, God, for this trial. They're saying, thank you, God, for being with me in this trial. And in that moment, when your faith is being tested, one day you will have a result of praise, glory, and honor. Verse seven ends like that. Your tested genuineness of your faith may be found in results, praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus. You will be glorified. You will be honored you will be praised and Jesus will also be praised in that moment because of your genuine faith through the testing you found you are found to be praiseworthy by the creator of the universe god peter talks about this again in his in his chapter in chapter 5 of his letter to the church and when the chief shepherd who is jesus appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That word unfading in chapter five is the same word in verse four, four, chapter one. The inheritance that you will receive is unfading. The crown of glory will be placed upon your head. Does that mean you take a higher rank than Jesus in heaven or play a superior role? Absolutely not. He is Lord, King, and Savior of this world and deserves all the glory. But it says that when you live your faith, even though it is tested in the fire, even though it is going through life and it is hard, the Father of this world, the Creator, will praise you for your genuine tested faith. And in that tested faith, in that tested faith, you will be marked by truth as you live in the margin, on mission, with vision, proclaiming the name of Jesus. How beautiful. The divine purpose is to reveal the power and the wonder-working God in your life through the Holy Spirit in relationship with Jesus, no matter how hot the trial is in your life. Powerful. But let's land here because Peter talks about gold and fire and we need to understand why. He uses this illustration, something of deep, deep value And the goldsmith in that day would deliberately place 
a, a, a rod into that smeltering hot fire and, and he would put it in there and not waste one moment. And as it's in that furnace for a long, long time, he would, it would remove the cheap impurities. It would take the, the things that are not worth of value and remove it. And when he would take it out, they would pour it out and make something of value. It is said that Eastern goldsmiths kept the metal in the furnace until they could see their face reflect in it, in the fire. And because God is in control, like the goldsmith, he keeps us in the furnace of trials until we reflect the glory and the beauty and the honor of Jesus Christ, his son and our king. We are to reflect the image of Christ in every moment. The fire that we go through purifies us and makes us rich in glory and honor because we look like Jesus. We don't look like ourselves. It's encouraging to know that we are born for glory, kept by glory, and are being prepared for glory. But to receive that glory, you have to go through the pressure of faith in the fire of trials. Over the last year, my wife and I have really been wrestling with the idea of having another child. We've always dreamt about having two because it's kind of like man-to-man coverage. Um, it's easy-er-ish. I don't know. Um, it seems to be easier right now. It is tough still as well. It's definitely a trial with these two that we have, these two little girls. Um, and we, we've always dreamt about having two children. But because my wife is a spiritual giant and spends time with the Lord every morning, she starts journaling and asking and seeking God, saying, God, are you done with us having children? And uh, when she started to reveal that to me, that she was praying that, my journal quickly started to say, "Um, God, please say that we are done with having children. That was my selfish side of me. But all joking aside, as she started leading us through this process of praying this prayer together, we started saying, God, is your will done in our life to have more children? Are we called to have more? Or are you saying, you know, we are good. We sought his face in this. And to keep a long story short, God completely revealed his hand and his plan for our life. And as we discern this in community and told them how he revealed that he desires to have more kids, they simply said, you've got to be obedient have more kids. Absolutely go for it. My wife and I and our two girls, Tatum and Rue, for the last few months have been celebrating the news of my wife, Hannah, being pregnant. Now you need to know that we have no problem having children. We sneeze on each other and it's like, oh, it's a girl. Um, we, it's just so easy for us. We don't know why. But two weeks ago, Hannah went in for an ultrasound. Coming out on the other side of that meeting, She all alone hears the voice of the doctor saying, we believe that your baby lost its heartbeat about two weeks ago. The measurement was very, very small. They did multiple, multiple ultrasounds and they said, we cannot find a heartbeat. We're sorry to tell you, you've had a miscarriage. Now as a family, we are walking through and are in a very real and fiery fire of trial. But you need to know that in this moment, I can stand before you and say, there is peace, supernatural, God-given peace in our souls. And even though that it is still a trial filled with pain and suffering and questioning and doubting, 
there is peace within us where we can say we are rejoicing because who God is in our life. Earlier, I share four reasons why trials happen in our life and why they're part and why they are part of our faith journey. I don't just share them with you because they are part of my study and I've been asked to teach on this. I share them because I'm living through them right now, like many of you are. In this moment of our trial, the first few days, they were filled and spent with moments of on our couch together as a family of me and my wife and the girls together crying and confessing why God, you told us to go and be obedient. Why is this child not with us anymore? And then because Peter says, take your knowledge of God and put it into practice, your faith and trust in him. My wife and I had to go back to God's word And Jesus is our foundation, our living hope. And through this time, he's revealed to us, yes, the trials are varied. They are not easy. They are meeting a need where I am growing you and shaping you into the image of my son. But you need to cling to the fact that I am God and I am in control. And as we are walking through this these last few weeks, We know that if we don't cling to the hope that who is Jesus and that God is in control, this trial can break us. Will this be the last trial we go through? No, but we cling to the fact that the living hope who is Jesus is inside of us and we can rejoice that even though these trials for our family of four are so tough, We can proclaim the name of Jesus through this, over this, and in this. And then we get to live out the values of our home, be known for our faith, live by example, and be a voice of hope. But how does this all connect with faith in the margin thread of this series? Here's how. Even though we as followers of Jesus seem to start from a negative or have lost our voice in the cultural moment and not be invited to the table much anymore. We are called to live, walk, and move through life, highs and lows, with our faith in Jesus to be on display and exemplified for all of those around us to see the living hope of Jesus is the firm foundation of life. Here's a verse that I've been clinging to lately when it comes to faith in the margin and the trials that I go through. Lamentations chapter three, verse 22 to 24. The steadfast love of our Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. I'm convinced that as followers of Jesus, the more we pray and posture ourselves towards the words of Jesus in faith saying, Father, may your will be done in this trial on earth as it is in heaven. We will see, know, and experience the living, breathing hope of Jesus in the trials where then we will show others who are hungry for faith and desiring a firm foundation. They will come to know Jesus because we are known for our faith, living by example, and being a voice of hope. May the fires of trials be that place where your faith is in the God of control. Peace and grace be with you.